Hi, welcome to another episode of I Own a Business, where we focus on helping practice owners grow the practice of their dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo, and I have with me Dr. Christina Puzz. Dr. Puzz became owner of Pittsburgh Primary Eye Care in 2015. And over the years, the practice has grown to 14 team members, including two and a half full-time optometrists. She's basically doubled the revenues, almost doubled the revenues over that that time and is experiencing an average growth rate of, of about 10% a year. So I mentioned that because we're going to talk about something today that Dr. Puzz credits as a, a major contributor to the growth of her practice, and that will be team meetings. So hello, Christina. Hi, Steve. Thanks for the invite. So I think we'll agree on this. From a leadership perspective, I think communication is one of the most important aspects of leadership. And so many of the problems that I hear regarding things like staff management and productivity can so often be traced back to poor communication. In some cases, a real lack of communication or even no communication. And a lot of times when I ask about team meetings, because that seems like an obvious solution, let's talk more, let's let's discuss these things. A lot of times when I ask about team meetings, so I wrote these down before we, we got on here, five of the, of the most common excuses I hear, and you may have heard these as well. Okay. okay. We don't get anything out of them, one. Number okay. two, we don't have time. We don't know what to talk about. They turn into gripe sessions and most recently, I actually, I, I've heard some people say we feel over, the staff feels overwhelmed, like it's just another thing to do. So for some, that may cause them to move away from staff meetings. For you, you leaned right into them. So you have one and a half hour weekly leadership meetings, followed by one hour long departmental meetings every week. I want to repeat that. So every week you carve out time, one and a half hours for a leadership meeting, followed by one hour long departmental meeting. So let's just start with that. How to, for the, the office saying, I, I don't have time for meetings. How, from an operational standpoint, how do you work that in to your work day? Like what day do you decide? What time do you decide? Just help us better understand and understand that from an operational standpoint. Sure, Steve. So um, how we decided uh, the day that we were going to be choosing to do these meetings was the longest day that we were open um, during the week. So we decided that um, on Tuesdays, um, the, the times that we were typically seeing patients was from uh, 8 a.m. until 7 p.m. And so that obviously was the day that seemed um, the best to do these meetings. Um, so we decided initially that our leadership meetings would be on those days and we would start them at uh, 8.30 in the morning and they would go until 10 a.m. Um, and then we had to find a place to carve out for these departmental meetings. And so that took some time um, trying to figure out, are we gonna do a different day for the departmental meeting? Are we going to do it the same day as the leadership meeting? And it really turned out that what was best was just to open the practice a little bit later um, that, Tuesday, um, which would be at 11.30, we open. And that gives us time to have our departmental meetings from 10.30 until 11.30. So it gives us a break from about 10 to 10.30 to you know, kind of gather ourselves after the leadership meeting and to move into our departmental meetings. So was this something you decided to do? This wasn't an evolution in your case that, okay, a half an hour meeting became a 45 meeting, minute meetings. You you just, you went all in and, and maybe this is a two-part question. Was there something that triggered this 
or was it just something that maybe you had read? I know we're going to get a little bit later into, into a book that that had some influence. If you want to discuss that now, that's fine too. But I'm curious if there was something going on in the practice that that led you to do this, whether there was a problem or just somebody came along and said, hey, you should do this. What what was the trigger? So that's a great question, Steve. Um, I had, had gotten to a point um, in practice ownership where I was overwhelmed essentially, um, with like a lot of practice owners. Um, we were having a lot of staff turnover. There was a lack of communication um, between myself, um, between optical manager, my optical manager, my practice manager. Um, oftentimes our staff just didn't know what was going on from one day to the next. Um, I was constantly putting out fires every day. Um, I was losing sleep at night because I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd say, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell my practice manager this, Lisa, or I forgot to, oh my gosh, this patient, oh, I wonder if they got their glasses okay and everything turned out okay. Or um, I wonder, you know, there was just constantly these things that were going through my mind. I'd come up with ideas in the middle of seeing patients and then I'd forget the idea moving to the next patient, you know? And so, um, you know, what ended up happening was I just became overwhelmed and it was, for me, it was just a kind of a breaking point. It was I either have to make things better and I have to create better communication. Um, there has to be better structure in the organization or I have to move away from this organization. Um, and, and for me, um, that, that wasn't, that wasn't the choice I wanted to make. I really enjoyed, um, being a leader in this organization. Um, and I say leader because at this point in time, I am a leader in the organization. At that point in time, I was just a boss. And, and that's how my staff, and that's how I referred to my team back, you know, um, over a year ago. Now I refer to them as my team members and I have leaders. And so you'll find that, you know, the terminology changes from where I was a year ago to where I am today. Um, and, and it also has changed for our leadership team and our team members. Um, so I was really just a boss back then. And now I feel that, that I'm, I'm more of, of a leader. And so, you know, and those skills have, take, took, or have taken a lot of time to develop over the past year. It's still growing. So you mentioned the phrase putting out fires and isn't it interesting that, it, and I'll hear this a lot when people say, I don't have time for meetings, you know, and it comes up a lot with staff training is a great example. So a practice that has a staff that's really whether they're underperforming, they're making chronic mistakes, not showing up on time, not doing their job right, not understanding how to work at technology, whatever it is. And when the discussion becomes they need more training it becomes, we don't have time for that. Well, a lot of times you don't have time to do those things because you're not putting in the time on the front end. If you just right. put in more time on the front end, yes, it takes longer to lead a team, to have meetings, to train the staff, but it pays off on the other side because you end up saving yourself a lot of time and not having to fix all these all these mistakes and all these problems. Absolutely. So you love the staff meetings. We're getting into them. You're feeling a little bit less overwhelmed. You're like, okay, this is working. What is the staff's reaction? Is there any pushback? Did they like it? Did they see the benefit of it? Well, I mean, it, you know, it, it took some time to develop trust, essentially. So I think initially our team was very skeptical. Um, we did, to be honest with you, we parted ways with about four or five team members and we brought new team members on uh, because 
they just weren't buying into what we were doing. And, um, and, and there were times that I felt like maybe they weren't giving us a chance. And so um, it was, it was a lot of trust that we had to develop between, you know, myself, my integrator, who is my uh, practice manager and my leadership team. And so, you know, with the staff members there, there was pushback with these meetings. They felt like, what's the point? Why are we doing this? We, you know, we never get anything done in meetings anyways. And then everything is just always ends up going back to the way it was before. Um, so it, it, there was a, a period of time where we had to develop uh, more trust and we're still developing trust with our team members right now that what we say is going to happen and the structure of our meetings are structured a certain way for a reason because things get done this way. Um, and so with, you know, and we're gonna talk about it later with traction, there is a certain um, structure to each meeting and you follow that structure. There's even periods of time that you're timing certain parts of the meeting so that things aren't, aren't going over and you're losing track of what you're trying to do. On the, just to dig a little bit deeper on the, the staff aspect and, and getting their trust and getting their buy-in. You mentioned something I'm going to follow up with, but I'll ask something else before you um, mentioned that staff would say, well, things just go back to the way they were before. So I, I, meetings give you a chance to hold people accountable, but let's, let's park that for just a second. I've always been of the thought as from a leader standpoint that you need to be careful pushing too hard on people where it's in my perfect world, the ideal environment is a lot of collaboration and people coming, my team members, as you like to call them, I love that term, coming to me with ideas. Now I can't make everything happen and not everybody can always get their way. But ideally, I would like to be in a work environment where people are excited to come to me with their ideas, solutions to problems ways to make things better. And then we can all talk about that. Has that been a part of the media? Has that given people that platform where they feel like they can come forward with ideas and we talk things through versus I, I think there's a sense in, in some offices and some practices that have meetings where they feel like it's a doctor or a manager getting up, telling everybody else what they need to do. And I always remember the study I read where the number one reason employees push back on, on, their boss is because they don't like their ideas. And if, right. but as soon as they're given a chance to come up with their ideas, a lot of times we just kind of align. I've used this term before, let other people have your way. Because a lot of times you've got ideas that you'd like to implement, but when you give other people a voice to sort of lift that up, then it feels like it's everybody's. It feels like it's other people's ideas and then you're supporting their reasons. And a lot of Good leaders have found that as a great motivational tool. But I'm just curious if you'd elaborate, elaborate a little bit on your thoughts on involving everyone on the team. And so again, Steve, it, it comes back to trust. And so, um, you know, our leadership meetings, um, we have quarterly. So in addition to our hour and a half and hour long, our hour and a half leadership and our hour long departmental meetings, we also have quarterly meetings that are an entire day where the leadership team comes to my house and we come up with our quarterly goals, our annual goals, our core values, um, our core focus. We review what our rocks are going to be for the quarter. Um, and I, you know, I can go into that later or at some other point, but, um, you know, it was, it was a, a lot of it was coming together as a leadership team. So first developing trust in the leadership team. That's what you have to do. You have to get your leaders and they have to trust your 
practice manager, your integrator, and they have to trust you as the visionary. After the leaders have, have you know, trusted you, they now can start opening up about their ideas. And they can feel that the ideas that they give to you are not going to be shut down. So essentially, we throw ideas up on a whiteboard. We just keep on throwing them up on these kind of post-its. Um, and, and no idea is ever kind of shut down immediately. Um, and so after you've developed that trust in your leadership team, now your leaders have to go to their direct reports, their team members, and develop trust there. We have something called one-on-one -on -one meetings that we run every two weeks with every direct report with their leader. So we have a clinical lead. He has two to three, actually three direct reports, and he has one-on-one -on -one meetings with them every two weeks that are 20 minutes. And in those meetings, he discusses with them, give me some of your ideas. How are things going? It's, it's a quick 20 minutes. And at the end of those 20 minutes, he asks for feedback on himself or herself. Um, and I think those one-on-one -on -one meetings build the trust. And then in the departmental meetings, people can start speaking up a little bit more. So it's like these tiny little things, these tiny little snippets that are happening throughout your days, throughout your weeks that build the trust. And it's not going to happen overnight. And, you know, we understand that as, um, you know, um, a lot of great leaders understand that these things don't happen overnight. And so it's, it's patience um, and it's developing um, the time, the energy into your leadership team and into your direct reports. So you hit on a couple of great things here. One is the, uh, some of the research in leadership shows one of the qualities of great leaders is humility. And you need, so I, I think a couple of things you need as a leader, one is assertiveness. You have to have a backbone and, and the ability to hold people accountable, but balancing that with some humility. These are two qualities I find in a lot of really good office managers. Humility gives is the ability to go to your team and say, I need your help too. I need your support. I, uh, how am I doing? You mentioned that the a leaders that part of one of your, your leadership meetings or your meetings with other team members is asking for feedback, the leader asking for feedback on him or herself. Well, it takes humility to do that, but it also takes that word that you've thrown out there about 75 times now, trust. Right. Because the, the employee, the, the team member has to really believe that if I give you this feedback, I'm not going to be in trouble, right? That you're right. going to be able to accept this, that I can trust you to take this in and apply it. Uh, and the other thing on involvement and the times that you have where people throw all their ideas out there and you don't shoot anything down, I think it was Google that did the study where they wanted to find out what are the top attributes of high-performing team, teams. And the, the number one thing they found was what they termed psychological safety. Absolutely. So it's the ability for workers to come into work and feel like their ideas are welcome. They can bring up their ideas, their solutions without fear of things being shot down. It, it's so important to have so important. in a work yeah. environment. Um, you alluded to goals. Did you use rocks? Did you, was that what you said? Rocks. Yes. Expand on that. I don't know what rocks are other than the ones I throw, but goals, <laughs> rocks, uh, KPIs. What are you tracking in these meetings? So um, we have a scorecard and that is part of our leadership uh, team meetings that we have weekly. Um, so um, it, this is part of, of traction. So the, the scorecard are a set of KPIs that we are tracking weekly. And the idea is that you track these numbers weekly 
And that avoids you being surprised at your P&I at the end of your quarter and, or at the end of your month. So you actually understand what's going on in your practice week to week. And so if you see a pattern of something changing or something dipping, then you can get on top of that in your leadership meeting and throw around ideas of why do we think this is happening? And, you know, identify, discuss, and solve the problem is the idea. And so the KPIs that, that we track at this point in time are uh, revenue per patient. And then, so we take an average revenue per patient. And then we also split that between the three doctors. Uh, we also track our total gross revenue weekly. Uh, we track our total optical revenue and we track our number of exams or refractive exams, which is very common among many practices. The um, Tell me a little bit about the outcomes that you've seen. I know we alluded to that in the beginning, the growth of the, the practice, anything else, just as far as the the financial or beyond the culture, the, the overall vibe in the office, what, what kind of outcomes have you seen through this? If we can accept in the beginning, there was some, you know, there, there's always going to be, you've got to build that trust. You had to let a few people go. I'm sure there were some bumps along the way, Absolutely. but as it, as it's evolved, what kind of outcomes have you seen? And, and maybe even, is there anything that you did initially that you would say, I, I would do it differently now? Okay, so there's a couple of couple of questions there. You might have to go back to the last one <laughs> because I, I can get off track a little bit. But um, so financially, uh, we've seen an increase in our revenue per patient. Um, we've seen an increase in our revenue of about 14% um, to date this year. But I think it really comes down to, I mean, I think the numbers speak for themselves, but you know, the, the, the real benefits of something like this, of putting something like it, this into effect is going to be the culture, the culture of your team, the culture, the energy that is felt when someone walks into your practice. And that is something that was so abstract to me before. I knew I wanted it. I knew when I felt in, I walked into my practice, I, I feel days where the energy was kind of like, Bleh. and that was most of the days I'd walk in and say, good morning. And good morning. Or sometimes my staff members wouldn't even look at me. You know, it was like, what's going on here. Um, and so I think the culture has dramatically changed and patients have commented on it. Team members have commented on it. Doctors have commented on it. In fact, the one doctor who we brought on full-time earlier this year, she said, the reason why I went full-time with you was because of the culture of this practice. And that is so much more important to me um, than really at this point, anything else. You know, obviously the revenue has to be growing. Um, we have to have patients walking in the door. Our days have to be filled with exams. But the quality of life that we can provide in our practice and just improving not only our, our, our staff, our, our patients, our leadership team, um, there's been collaborative teamwork. People are held accountable for roles that they maybe are not fulfilling that they should be fulfilling. Um, we call each other out on our core values. So we have a message system in our office where if somebody does something really cool that you saw a team member, hey, and you call them out to the whole entire team, you send a message out or you call them out in front of them, you know, so you praise in public. 
And so that has been something that I feel has been exponentially so much better. Um, I can say, you know, for myself, um, balance, work-life balance has improved incredibly. Um, and that, you know, allowing my leadership team to make decisions and have ideas and have a part in running this practice, how it has allowed me to kind of step back and allow flow of ideas in other ways for myself, if that makes sense. Um, I've, you know, developed um, interest in, in other areas of the practice that I normally wouldn't have had time to do because I was constantly micromanaging everything. And for me, it's just, it's an improved quality of life for myself. And I, and I, you know, I think that that is invaluable, honestly. The, what, I have a bad habit of starting to ask one question that turns into four by the time I'm done rambling. <laughs> so I think you got, oh, you did good. You, I, you covered, you covered it all. Um, just a few more things here. Accountability. You mentioned earlier, you've, you've mentioned that word in, in your last response. And you mentioned something before that well, in the past, we've had these meetings and talked about doing these things, but things just go back to the way they were before. I hear that all the time. I've heard it at our meetings. People will come and say, oh, we bring the whole staff here. They love the meetings. They get so much out of it. But then we go back to the office and we get busy doing the, the routine and then we don't do the things that we talked about doing. So there's a sense of accountability there. How do you hold people accountable for the outcome? So you can have these meetings and talk about all the things you're going to do, but making sure that things are actually executed. What is your process for that? So um, we do have um, an accountability chart and it is split up. It's actually um, hanging in my um, uh, practice manager's office and it says the role of each person um, and who their leader is, who the direct reports are, and what they are accountable for. So if there's ever any question about who's accountable for ordering contact lenses, you can go to this chart and see this person is accountable. Um, so, you know, if there is a circumstance where someone is not, you know, performing as we see should be done, um, or they're not holding themselves accountable for what their role is, um, we have something called a performance improvement plan. And, and, it's, and it's really, it's not a way to lecture someone. It's not a way to um, you know, necessarily critique them or criticize them. It's a way to remind them that, hey, these are our core values. This is what you're accountable for. You know, there, there's three circumstances, two to three circumstances where maybe you, you did not fulfill this role. And so give us some ideas on how we can allow you to kind of get back into that role to fulfill those responsibilities. And so we'll allow that person to kind of come up with their own solution, even though we might have a solution in the back of our head. Um, we allow them to kind of come up with ideas. And then we set out a kind of 30 year or 30 year, 30 day plan um, where we check in with them once a week. And that 30 day plan, um, you know, again, you, you check the, leader, the leadership team checks in with their direct reports every week. And if after that 30 day period of time, they have not, you know, kind of fulfilled those roles or things have kind of went haywire, they may potentially have another 30 days to improve their performance. If that does not happen, then there's this discussion of parting ways. 
And that is, um, we are completely upfront, direct. We are open and honest about how this goes. Um, and so we do understand that this type of leadership is not for everyone, right? This type of structure in organization is not for everyone. And we understand that. And so there are times where we've had to part ways with, with employees that we've had for many years that just didn't, they didn't see the value in what we were doing. And they felt that we were being too harsh um, and um, maybe weren't giving them a chance or why, why did things have to change? I like the way things were before. Um, and, and that's okay. What we say is like, you know, there's a place for you, but that place may not be here. It's somewhere else. And um, I think, again, it's just about being open and honest and really being direct with our, with our team members about what their responsibilities are. You find that just having just the mere act of having the meetings is in itself a, 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 a creates a mechanism of accountability because just by having the meetings, you're creating a, a forum where people have to somewhat answer for their performance and answer for their outcomes. So one of the best definitions I ever heard for accountability was putting people in a position in which they know they're going to have to answer for their performance at a later date. That so, and that's all it is. We have to answer. So the problem I think with accountability and to use my, to build on my example before people come to our meetings and they got a great, a lot of great ideas and went back, but it really didn't get executed. I don't think anyone really had to answer for not doing their part. Right. So when you set up meetings, whether those are team meetings, leadership meetings, one-on-one -on -one meetings, and people are clear on their expectations, I think it has to start there, but then setting a time saying we are going to reconvene we're going to meet at this time and putting the the staff member in a position where they sort of have to report or give you a status update on where they're at i think in general just the way we're wired up people don't want to have to keep reporting to their boss or their their leader that you know that they're they're failing so if if for no other reason than to avoid an awkward conversation i think that probably motivates a lot of people to uh to to deliver on what they're being asked to do that's correct. We have um, in our departmental and our leadership meetings, we um, we come up with a to-do list. And there, for every to-do, you know, every, every action, there is a person assigned to that to-do. And so for the following week, you're to, to have all your to-dos done. And so you have a week to two weeks to get those done. And so as we're going through the certain, the structure of this meeting, the to-dos, there's a portion of the meeting where we ask, you know, Lisa, um, do, were you able to accomplish this? And the only answer is done or not done. Lisa, was this able to be accomplished? Done or not done? And so you have two weeks to accomplish that to-do. If after two weeks it's not accomplished, um, it's either assigned back to a um, kind of an ideas list, like what can we do to get this done? Um, or we we try to help Lisa solve the problem in that in that meeting. Perfect. So we'll close out here. If you could touch on or just talk about traction, because I know that's been a big part of the uh, what you've implemented in your practice, the book traction. I, if I could put in a, a quick plug here for our mutual friend, Dr. Larry Golson, who we just did a podcast okay. recently. That's that's a a big. Um, uh, factor in, in the growth of his practice. And I know he works with other doctors, but what if, for people who haven't read it, they're not familiar with the book or the process, can you give us an overview of what that is? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, Dr. Golson was the one that introduced us to traction um, and he and um, his integrator have helped us over the past year um, to, uh, to, to really integrate this into our practice. Um, and so traction is, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a very, once you read the book, if you ever read the book, <laughs> I highly encourage you to read it. It's overwhelming. And you just in your head think, oh my gosh, how can I, how can I get all of this stuff done? Um, but it really traction is what we are doing in our practice right now. It is the leadership meetings. It's the departmental meetings. It's how you solve problems and you gain traction and move forward instead of staying still and not solving any issues. Um, there, again, there are, there's a certain structure to the leadership meetings, the departmental meetings in the traction book, the quarterly meetings, the annual meetings. So there is a certain kind of formula that you're following and it has, has worked for us. Um, and, you know, Dr. Golson and Christine have, um, have, done this in their practice and I found it incredibly valuable that they were an optometry practice that was incorporating this business practice that had been done in many other large companies and and it worked in a smaller setting which I think was is is pretty amazing I think there, there's so many takeaways from this and I would almost challenge a any a doctor listening to this that that isn't having meetings or maybe doesn't value or it it's not part of the uh operationally it's not part of uh of your weekly process to really give it some serious consideration and just try it three months six months and then you decide for yourself do i feel less overwhelmed is my staff more productive has my culture improved am i making more money and if those are the cases, and I would venture to say in many cases, that would be what you would experience by having more communication, more meetings, more clarity with the staff, um, getting more feedback from the staff and, and just time to breathe from the, the ongoing patient care. I, I think so many positives could come out of that. If we get beyond the thinking of, well, if I do this, it's going to mean I, uh, it's, I'm taking time away from patient care. I think once you build this in, you'll find that you, you you may see a few less patients, but you may be better, much better off for it. I think you're a great example of that. So so we'll end there. You probably have a meeting to get to. Actually, you have to pick <laughs> your kids up. So you already told me that, but maybe you have a meeting after that. But right. Christina, so. this was fantastic. Thank you so much for for uh, uh, for letting us bend your ear on these things. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. If you'd like to know more about IDOC and how we work with ODs to help them grow their practice, you can find out more at IDOC.net. So thanks for listening.